morning beautiful people happy happy friday it's friday it is friday welcome to love babs love talk i'm babs rolls ivy it's friday like we made it through the whole week <laughs> you and i together we did it we did it we did it dora the explorer <laughs> morning harry <laughs> we made it a whole week a whole week so uh, I must have slept wrong last night because my my side right here, my neck and my shoulder, is just hurting. Unless I'm having a stroke and I don't know it, I doubt it. I just I have ridiculous amounts of pillows on my bed, so uh, I just slept wrong on them. Do you know what I mean? I've been sleeping hard lately. I don't know what that's about. Uh, still not sleeping like a gazillion hours, but when I sleep, I'm sleep weird so i don't know what that is i kind of know what it is i'm on some new meds and uh they're quite effective so you know i think one of the side effects is deep sleep <laughs> no seriously deep sleep so it's like okay so we have it so i'm 10 days out from uh story week I'm not here the 12th through the 17th or whatever it is that week. Um, and then uh, I'm about 56, 55 days out from Marrakesh for my birthday, which is freaks me out all the time. I'll be in a North Africa for my birthday, for my 60th birthday. And uh, starting to think about what I want my life to look like as I move to 60. You know, it's one thing to think about it when I was like, you know, 58 and or I was, you know, six months away from 60 or a year from 60. But now I'm about to step into 60 and I'm starting to think about, you know, uh, a lot of things about being 60 and about moving forward and embracing aging uh, in a way um, that really makes me sort of center it. Uh, so I'm not unhappy. I'm happy. <laughs> I know a lot of mofos ain't going to see 60. <laughs> and listen, fingers crossed. It's fingers crossed that I, I see it too. So we'll see, you know. And to go to Marrakesh in a beautiful space, in an exotic, beautiful place, uh, is just uh, mind-blowing to me. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and that's that's where I'm rooted uh, just the, the blessing of all of that, and the and the people who who consider me their friend, who uh, who want to take the trip with me, which is I think in and of itself is the greatest gift. So I'm just I just feel blessed. I'm gonna stand in it. I got blessed today. <laughs> I'm blessed every day. And uh, and you know, and I, I'm one of these people that walk in truth. So I, I'm just talking to myself about some truthful things that are still painful, but, you know, revisiting them, uh, just walking in my spirit about it and, you know, see where I can make a difference in the 60s. Uh, not going back for more where there was only less, you know, those kinds of things. Um, honing in on what, I, what really makes me happy, what I really want to be doing, who I really want to be spending time with, which I think I solved, cured, 
you know, um, and just, you know, it's just that kind of thinking, you know, just, just being present in my own life. And, and I think I'm pretty, pretty, pretty much present in my life. You know, I, I, I don't just do things happenstance. I don't just do things for the sake of doing things. I am, I'm very intentional and deliberate. So, uh, so that part. So, yeah. So I've just been thinking about that. I went out last night. I saw uh, Ioni at uh, the lily pad at Toad's place. And uh, he's quite talented. He is quite talented. And so I saw Brian Slatery there covering it. So it was like eight. We got there around 830 or so. It's like an hour set, not even, you know, the, uh, I guess some of his coworkers were there. They was drunk as hell. They was off the chain. He needed a better audience. I only needed a better audience. They, they weren't a good audience. They was just drunk and belligerent and silly. He needed a better audience, you know, you know, an audience that was committed to, to just, you know, being moved by the music and not just being whatever the hell they was being. But you know that's neither here nor there. <laughs> not 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 my not my not my place. But you know, I think if he had a better audience, it would have been it would have been a, a wonderful, much more wonderful event. I don't know. People just get out outside. I don't know how I'm. You know, I'm too old to be acting like that with coworkers. You know, just be showing out and carrying on and drunk and falling down and just looking ridiculous. You know, uh, you know, it's it's that it's that kind of thing. I, I just don't, uh, I just don't get it. But I'm old, so I mean, I'm not old. I'm older, and uh, you know, older. Anyway, uh, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with that. So it was, he, his music is really good. Danceable, of course. Uh, uh, doing all the things. Well, talented. It's good. It's good. It's good. So what I'm going to do uh, this today is chill. Uh, I was at Possible Futures yesterday hanging out. Uh, I did my homework. Well, I did some of my homework. I'm going to do the rest of it today. Uh, I was hanging out at Possible Futures and uh, picked up a few things. I've got to gift some people some stuff, so I'm going to do that uh, because I want them to have this. And uh, and and I'm feeling pretty good. So uh, I finally picked up the book that I ordered. I had picked this out of the library. I used it to write my uh part of my application to write an academic piece for my ISM application. I hope it was good enough. But anyway, I just like this book because my friend Ann Mazzaro uh, had it. A friend of hers gave it, gave it to her. And so I picked it up and, uh, and I wanted it, wanted it because I just, it's such a good read and I'm going to, uh, uh, let her know that I got it. I don't need no more damn books. I tell you what I'm loving now, though. This is what I'm, this is what I'm falling in love with now. This book, uh, Love from the Vortex. I mean, I just, 
and other poems by Yolanda Seely Ruiz. Ah, this book is like grace. And it's so perfect for this moment that I'm in. <laughs> it's so perfect for the moment that I am in. And uh, uh, yeah. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna just move through that and uh allow myself to uh, uh enjoy it. So even on the back, there's this poem that I love, leaving the vortex. And that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> my passion for you is no longer useful now that you know my potential to love you. I will not slip again into sadness, I will not write streams of consciousness that spiral my heart into the vortex. I am grateful for the vortex. It has served me well. It is now time to leave it behind and discover what beauty awaits. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so I'm giving this to somebody because they are for all, uh, uh, if, they, they are the vortex. So I'm leaving it behind. And that's that's a that's a wonderful way to sort of think about that. I didn't think about that until just this moment. So so hooray! <laughs> hooray, 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 hooray. So anyway, um I've got uh people that I really like, Constance Royster and um Frank Mitchell are coming on at 10 to talk to me about uh, the Constance Baker Motley exhibition at the Wendell and Tony Harp Museum at the Q House. So I'm looking forward to talking to them. Connie is one of my favorite people and so is Frank Mitchell. And so they are my guests this morning um, to talk about uh, 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 the exhibit because Connie Royster is um, um, Constance Baker Motley's niece. So, and, you know, I have a love Jones for Constance Baker Motley and I have a love Jones for, <laughs> for um, Connie Royster. So there's that. So, you know, it's all good. We'll do well. Everything will be well. And uh, yeah, uh, let's see what else is going on. I'm trying to think uh, all the things that I, I have a, this is an untethered Friday. It is, it is really an untethered Friday. Uh, I had to run to Bridgeport this morning quickly and turn around and come right back. Uh, but I, I don't have, I, I'm not committed to anything today. And it's been a while since I've had a day I mean, I have to run by the paper, but there's no work to be done there. Um, I have a very untethered day, which is nice, but there's a snowstorm coming tonight or some bad weather or whatever it is. So I got to do all the things that I need to do and then uh, make my moves. Make my moves right now, baby. <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm looking forward to... Um, uh, 
to having a day where I can just run the day, you know. Uh, I'm just looking forward to running the day. That's 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 really what I want to say. I want to run the day. So last night there was a Black Trivia Night at the Afro Am Center. I, I didn't go because I just was I was just really tired, and uh, and I had already had a full day of stuff. So so I hung out at the bookstore until I went over to uh, the lily pad. But really, I could have switched that. I could have just skipped the lily pad and went right to the Afro Am Center. But, you know, you do what you do. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm feeling pretty good this morning. And uh, we'll see what we can get into today. Before the... Uh, before the day, uh, before the inclement weather. And uh, I know we have a Saturday Academy tomorrow. So we'll see what the weather yields us. You know, I mean, it's fine. I just have a couple of things to do tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to go over to Next Haven and catch some of that show. And then I'm going to go over to uh, the Divinity School and catch. There's a particular show that I want to see over there at three. So uh, but I don't I don't have anything to do Saturday night, I don't think. So my afternoons are pretty full, which is fine. And then Saturday night, just chill, chill down. And then Sunday, uh, I'm sure I have something. So we'll see. You know, I, I get into stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I get into stuff. <laughs> You know, then I leave no I leave no stone unturned. So uh we'll see what we get into. And I might be missing stuff on the radar. I I indeed might be missing stuff. So I I couldn't really I really couldn't say. Uh, what's going on unless uh you know I check somebody's calendar. And uh, my voice is, you know what? I talk so much that my voice sort of feels strained a little bit because I talk a lot. <laughs> you know, beyond talking on the radio for two hours a day, you know, I speak at places too. And uh, it can be a, a a heavy lift to keep speaking in places. Do you know what I mean? Like just to be talking. I just got invited to speak somewhere else too, to be a part of a panel. And I have to respond, like I have to reply at some point, and I will. I like I'll respond to all the all the stuff that I need to respond to today. Like I'll do that. Um, because, uh, yeah, I'll I'll just I'll just respond, and uh, and get everybody sorted. Uh, I, I've got some ask people have asked me to have coffee with them, to meet up with them. So I'm gonna try to schedule that for next week, a couple of days. Uh. At this point, I don't think I want lunch. I just give me for coffee somewhere. And there's some great places to have coffee. So I can meet somewhere and have coffee with someone. Uh, uh, so that that's what I'm thinking. You know, uh, I'm thinking that. We'll see. Uh, uh, yeah. So, huh. and uh, but I'm excited to talk to Frank and Connie 
about this exhibit and uh, and and upcoming things that are going to be happening in that space. So I've not been in the Tony Window and Tony Hart Museum yet. I don't know why. I don't know why I haven't been up there. I've been in the Q House. I don't. I don't. I'll get in there. I'll I'll check it. We'll see. Uh yeah. So I, I just feel very casual, you know, relaxed. It's Friday. We had a great week. Uh, a good bunch of word on the streets. Let me check to see the, the New Haven Independent if, if uh, Brian had put up his uh, his piece uh, for the um, since for last night's concert. Let's see if he's you know. Oh yeah, some school stuff, tweet stuff. Oh, oh all boys charter schools coming our way. I see boys of Kimber. Ah, you know, so he's he's gonna put an all boys charter school. I I guess I don't. You know what? I don't. I just wish we could be more imaginative about things. It's just an all boys program seems archaic to me. But I listen. I understand the thinking. I truly understand the thinking, and. I, I am probably more in line with it than I than I realize because I, I understand it. I understand. I understand. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna wait till I hear more and then I'm gonna read the article too to see what exactly is happening. Um I I just I just I'm I'm just in this place of needing more imaginative thought and creativity around solving problems. And I think I feel this way because I've stepped into the artist space. Anyway, grocery shopping? Oh, you know what? I should have told you to give me some distilled water. I didn't realize you was going to the store store. I need some distilled water. If you feel like it, you don't feel... Liquor store don't open till what, 11? Where do you go? Oh, Lord have mercy. Oh, well, anyway. Uh, everybody was at this, there was a lot of folks at the service yesterday for the young man that, the, the young man that passed away who was, Beloved by great many folks, particularly the um, Bradley Bike Shop cooperative folks, and uh, my friend Lauren, who owns Possible Futures, um, they she went to the service yesterday, and she was quite affected by it. Apparently, they were biking up East Rock, and he got off the bike and got disoriented, like vertical disoriented, and fell to his death. I I don't even. I don't even know if I saw that on the news, you know, that he fell to his death. That was just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And, you know, he graduated college. He was beloved. He was a person of New Haven. And, and uh, I, I offer my, my, my prayers to him, to his family, and all those that loved him. That cannot be an easy 
that cannot be an easy reality to hold on to. I mean, it just can't be, you know, I, I don't, I never want to know that kind of heartache. And God knows I've known enough heartache in my life, but I don't want to know that, you know, to lose a child. I just don't, you know, under any circumstances. So, so I'm holding uh, that family in my prayers. And uh, I hope that the peace that surpasses all human understanding finds that family and friends in the times coming ahead. So quite uh quite heartbreaking so anyway uh let's 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 move forward it's about 9 30 the weather is nice out uh this has just been a weird weather time but i know people are end of day thinking and uh, end of days thinking and oh the change and the blah 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 okay it is challenging it is. It is uh right now it's 37 degrees outside. 37 degrees. Um and uh you know there's a coastal flood watch until 11 on Saturday. Uh I guess the weather doesn't start to change until after nine o'clock tonight, somewhere around nine. I will be home by then. <laughs> trust and believe i i will be here at the house already tucked in and uh and thinking about uh what needs to happen uh for the weekend and uh and where we're supposed to show up on saturday if we're showing up whether it's online offline or wherever so uh had a good good work uh good uh time with my um lsat coach yesterday and uh, it was uh, challenging. I feel better because I, you know, you have these moments when you just get caught up in this, doing this LSAT and it, and, you know, he just reminded me that it's, it's not a moral failing. Like, it's just, it's just a game and uh, just keep progressing. I was like, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm going to take the test anyway. I'm slated to take the test. I'm taking the test. So. Hook or crook. I, I I'm gonna try to do the very best that I can and leave it at that. Do you know what I mean? Uh <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it at that. So <clears throat> excuse me, I still have a little bit of a cough. I see the pulmonary specialist, pulmonary specialist on Monday. I'm on meds. It has made a huge difference, but still there's a little bit of a cough. So I don't know. I don't know what that is, uh, but they have run me through my paces. So I guess it might be a side effect of some old mess. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I have a really good team. I have great faith and admiration and trust in these people. Uh, I do. So, uh, Yes, you absolutely can. You know, absolutely. Oh, I'm getting texts from people. So I'm so when you hear me like speaking out of context or something, it's because I'm responding <laughs> to a text. 
I hate when people text me in the morning because <laughs> they know nine times out of 10, I can see it, uh, but I cannot respond to it uh, because, you know, this is live and I have to be about the business of paying attention, you know. Uh, that's what I do. So I have to pay attention. So anyway, um, the world is a ghetto. <sighs> it is a little crazy. I don't. I don't know what's happening. I haven't really tuned into the news that much. I've been on a real news diet, which is odd. You know, I used to be a news junkie. Now I'm on a news. Now I'm on a news diet. Now I don't have one to watch the news at night. Do you know what I mean? Like I turn off the TV. I do more of that. I rarely watch late night television. Dude, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I think that's, I think I'm settling into a, a, a routine where I can just spend my nights doing something else rather than watching television. I think that's the, I think that's a good goal, good plan. I think that's a good plan. I'm going to work with that. I'm going to work with that. So um, I guess we have a mayoral race going on in New Haven. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> you know, our, our our city mayor is probably one of the most pettiest people and lackluster, mediocre people in New Haven. Like if, if we if we could say who's the most talented in New Haven, he would not be on that list. If we could say who's the most dazzling, he would not be on that list. If we could say who has the best interests of this city at heart, he would not be on that list. He is mediocre. He is petty. He is small. And I hear this everywhere I go. People whisper to me all the time how, how small, you know, they come out of a meeting with him and they'll say, he's so small and petty. You know, he always misses opportunities to do good good stuff like he he can't rise above mediocrity you know and this city is so amazing and he wouldn't know that because he's not from here and you don't have to be from here but you have to understand that that this city is amazing and if you don't believe that and it's just a stepping stone to whatever it is you think you want to go uh, then you have no business being mayor you know he just had i just find him lackluster and mediocre that's it. You know, I don't know him personally. I don't know what his character is like. I don't care. I just know as mayor, this city deserves a mayor that is a shining example of, of, of how beautiful and amazing we can be and are, is. He's not that. He's petty and small and mediocre, you know, and, 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 and mean, you know. That's what I hear, you know. I see him in space. He doesn't even speak to me, which is it's. <laughs> I think if he did speak to me, I would probably, uh, the world would probably split in half, you know. So I, I know people have. I know he has either has listened or people have gone back and said, you know, Babs don't really dig you, and I, and he shouldn't really care about that, except that I'm a voting citizen of this city. You know, and, you know, maybe you don't need my vote. I don't know. He's not getting it, but, uh, you know, I, I just think the city needs a, a much uh, a much more committed leader. You know, someone who 
who is at home in all the neighborhoods. You know, I want to see the mayor at the same events that I'm at. I want to see the mayor supporting the arts. I want to, and listen, I, I, I don't want to hear about, well, he's married with little kids at home or whatever. I, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I just think if, if you, if you become mayor, your whole family becomes mayor. You know, that you reflected the best of, about what the city has to offer. That you, you sing its praises. And and you look for ways to be inclusive in your reach. I don't I don't think he has that ability. You know, I think his ambitious, mediocre as it is, is a stepping stone. That New Haven is a stepping stone. I don't I don't know if he loves New Haven. I don't know. I can't tell. I know who does love New Haven. I do. I don't want to be mayor. But I but at the same time, I want somebody who loves the city to be mayor. I, I want somebody who can go in any neighborhood and be at home in any neighborhood. I want somebody who's always thinking about how can I make the lives better for people over there and over there and over there and over there? How can I do that? How can I have my administration reflect, reflect the diversity and the beauty of this city? How do, how do I do that? I need to make that a priority. See, I need a mayor who thinks like that. I need a mayor who says, I want my administration to look like the people we serve, top to bottom, soup to nuts. That's what I want. I want, uh, in a, I want my administration to engage in the community in ways that we go the extra mile. We, we as the administration and leadership of the city go the extra mile. I want a mayor who talks like that. Do you know what I mean? I want a mayor who talks like that. I want a mayor who says, when you come and build in our city, this is what is required. This is how you show good faith. We are a city of good faith. We, 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 we applaud businesses to come here and developers. But when you come here, there is a way in which you operate and that you build that sort of says, this is what we believe in. And you are buying into that. You're building into that. Is that too much to ask for? Am I asking for too much in 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 a municipal leader? Am I asking for too much? Somebody let me know if I'm asking for too much. I think we've gotten used to mediocrity, you know. And 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 it's telling and it's showing. So I just, I just, that's how I feel, you know. And, you know, he could be petty with me. I mean, he could make my life uncomfortable or whatever. I mean, if that's his desire. I mean, if that's if that's a good use of his time, you know. And it might be for somebody like him to, like, you know, try to make my life difficult. It might be. You know, I listen, I'm never surprised by the things that mediocre people do. <laughs> I'm just not surprised. <laughs> but there's got to be there's got to be a light on the hill somewhere that someone has to answer the call, and 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 answer the call because the love of the city is greater than their own personal gain of the city. 
I think that's what I want to see in leadership. Do you know what I mean? Like I want somebody to say, I love this city so much. I want to, I want to help grow it and develop it. And I want to step into the leadership role. I don't, I don't want people like, oh, I, this is what I don't want to hear. Oh, I got to ask to grind. So therefore, oh, I, 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 he's, I don't want anybody to come out and say he's, he's an awful mayor. I want somebody to come and say, listen, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I can do. This is what I want to do. I want somebody to come and say, look at me, but look at me for all the right reasons. Don't look at me because the choice you have is a terrible choice. I, I want somebody to say, I want somebody to come and run for office and say, listen, I, I forget what you had. It's a new day. Let us let us rise to the moment of the new day. It's going to take all our efforts to the new day. It's a new day. And we have to be, we have to have the courage to face the new day, whether it is, you know, uh, ending white supremacy, whether it is holding up equity and inclusion and making that the new order of the day, whether it is ensuring that our education system has what it needs by hook or by crook and not rhetoric. Oh my God. Empowering those that know how to do, do. That's what I mean. I, I need leadership like that. I need someone to rise up and say that. I need somebody to bring us all along. Not in a kumbaya kind of way, although people say kumbaya like that's a bad thing. Like we like you prefer adversarial discourse? No. No. But what I want for a city that is as beautiful and as charming and as, as hands-on as New Haven is, it deserves leadership that reflects that. Anywhere in this town, there are people working on issues to make this place better. You could, I, I, could, I could walk downtown, I could walk into a bunch of rooms right now, and there are people meeting in ways to make this city better in spite of a mediocre mayor. In spite of. In spite of. The best and the brightest never run for office. You know, we, we've learned that used to be the best and the brightest among us, but now we've learned the best and brightest don't have the patience or the stomach or the or 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 the or the the will to sort of deal with foolishness that comes at them. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. The best and brightest among us don't don't want to run for office so so that leaves a vacuum a hole a huge hole and those who are mediocre will step in you know the people was like well i don't have real talent i don't have real energy i don't have real get up and go i don't have any real ideas i i can rehash some stuff and i want to do it because it seems prestigious oh uh, because i want to use it to a stepping stone to do something else to go somewhere else and i don't really care you know you know, ambition is a terrible mistress. Seductive and terrible ambition. You know, and, and our 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 congressional halls are filled with mediocre, with mediocre folks and 
mediocre ideas. This is a time right now for a level of creativity that we've not seen. I just want somebody to step up and step in and say, listen, I don't know. Listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to all get there together. You know, and listen, I'm not knocking ambition. Ambition has fueled some greatness in people to the likes that the world has never seen. So I'm not knocking ambition. I'm not saying ambition is a terrible thing. I'm ambitious. We're all ambitious. I, I love power and influence. Love it. You know, but I don't like power and influence for personal gain. I like power and influence if it if it changes neighborhoods. I like power and influence if it if it gets our kids, you know, through an education system that supports them. I like power and influence when I know elderly people have what they need in their neighborhoods. I like power and influence when, you know, East Rock neighborhood looks as, as good as New Hallville. See what I'm saying? See how I do that? That's 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 what I like about power and influence. I tell people all the time I love power and influence. I love it. I, I don't love it in the way the mob loves it. <laughs> not, not that way. I like it for, for the for all the things that I could do some good. You know, do some good. So 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 that's that's my take. That's why I'm not I'm not going to have any of these mayoral candidates. Come on, I'm gonna leave it to Paul and some other folks to have these conversations because I think Paul is very good um having these conversations with political folks because he can he asks the hard questions. I me, I, I'll just be like an asshole and ask asshole questions and you know they'll just be annoyed with me because they because they they'll have to come off message and they just won't want to come off message. So they're not going to be on my show. Although I did enjoy talking to the, the to the man running for Hartford mayor. I enjoyed his conversation. He had the right sort of energy. He had the right sort of energy and 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 charisma that I like. You know, he's he's he, I felt like he was sincere in his in his drive, you know. So so we'll see. You know, I I, I guess you know, people are picking their sides right now. I don't I'm not picking a side. I'm a vote because I never there, there is no can't there's no way I'm ever going to squander my vote. I don't give a damn if I don't like nobody. I'm never squandering my vote. I'm not going to write Donald Duck. I'm not going to write Bugs Bunny. That's I, 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 first of all, first of all, first of all, I'm never going to do that mess because I'm a black woman in America that comes from a long line of black women in America. So I, I'm never going to squander a vote that I know my grandparents risked their lives to get. My great-grandparents risked their lives to get. I'm never going to spit in their face that way. And I listen, I don't care if people don't like to carry that kind of weight. I'm built for it. I can carry that kind of weight. I'm always thinking about my ancestors and 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 what I need to do to sort of honor, you know, uh the work that they did before me doesn't matter. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, and listen, <laughs> you can say whatever you want about my character. I don't, it doesn't matter. Character is ever changing, ever changing. You could be one way one day and something happens and it could change and turn you around. 
that's that's what that's that's what second chances do that's what you know opportunities do that's what having good people in your life will do you know i'm i'm here to tell you so so yeah so i i will vote even if i don't like my choices i don't have to really like my choices in order to exercise my right to vote hear me vote now i can write in with whoever i want i'm not gonna write in stupid stuff you know but i'm I'm not going to squander my vote you know uh i'm not going to do that uh, and, I, and i will pay attention to the majority i will listen to the how the wind blows you know i will i'll pay i'm paying attention so where's the new haven mayor originally from <laughs> I, I think he's from um, somewhere in uh, in Connecticut. Uh, I think from a very rich town. I think it's from a very rich town. So, and listen, I don't say that people can't come to the city and not make uh, make make the city better. I I don't I don't mean that at all. I don't think you have to be from here to uh to run stuff i i don't believe that i i think some incredibly talented people have come through to have come to the city through yale and through other means through you know through other ways that have made wonderful contributions to the depth and breadth of the city we we want this city ought to be a place where people want to be this city ought to be a place where people want to raise a family and buy property and 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 enjoy cultural activities. We want a city like that. I mean, we don't want to be West Haven, do we? No shade to West Haven, but they got their issues. They got their issues. We're not West Haven. Plus, we're big. So <laughs> West Haven is not big. We're big. We're big. You know, we're at Bridgeport. Bridgeport has its issues. Lots. We had good leadership in New Haven. I don't know if Bridgeport had good leadership. I don't know. I don't know if New London had good leadership. I know New Haven has good leadership. Had good leadership. Yeah, there's enough people that care about this city that's working in spaces and under bushels and behind behind the scenes to to grow and make this place thrive and you know, do what it do. I mean, we got some real issues that, that need to be tackled and it, and they can't be photo ops and they can't be sound bites. You know, they have to be real conversations and hard conversations, you know, and, and people are going to walk away feeling like I don't like any of this, but got to come back tomorrow because it requires coming back tomorrow. And the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that, until we get to some resolution about some of these issues, you know, there's got to be some resolution and we all have to do our part and wherever your part is, you got to do it. Whether it's in your neighborhood organizing, whether it's gathering people on your porch and having deep conversation, I mean, you got to do it, you know, got to do it. This city is worth it. It's worth the fight. It's worth it. You know, we got to support organized labor. Now, I know organized labor can be problematic. 
you know, who, who, what is it? You know, uh, but, but th there's no perfection. Perfection, perfection leads to no creativity. Perfection is finite. We're not, we're not in a perfection place. We are in an ever moving, changing landscape, you know, that ebb and flows and we have to be willing to ebb and flow. That's that's what's required. And if you're tired, you got to tag out. Let's tag somebody in who could pick up the weight. You know what I mean? Like we got to we got to do that. I see the Board of Ed got what? 30 some odd superintendent applications. I think I treat it like the American Idol. We have like competition. They come in because they sing, dance, swimsuit competition. Well, what, how are we doing this? <laughs> How are, we, how are we doing this? We got several organizations looking for executive directors across the city. How are we doing this? How are we doing it? You know, we just have to be, we just have to keep going. You know, we just have to, just have to keep going. And, 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 you know, the, the, the Monday morning, armchair quarterbacks who don't suit up and don't get in the game, they're going to benefit from the work that the folks do on the ground. Those folks who are contentious, contemptible, critical, and I don't mean critical in, a, in an analytical way. I mean critical in a petty, small-minded way, are going to benefit from the work of the people on the ground. That's just how it goes. And actually, those that freedom fight, freedom fight for all. They don't just freedom fight for the people who believe what they believe. They freedom fight for all so that whatever you believe, you you have the safety to believe it without harm. Freedom fighters do that. They fight for, for freedoms. <laughs> they, they're not trying to, trying to shut you down. They're trying to make it so that you have access and opportunities to your freedom. You know? I mean, there's so many things that we could be working on and dealing with. We 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 have a gun problem in this country, and we gotta quit acting like we don't. We have a gun problem, and it for me it's a gun sickness. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a sickness. It's like COVID to me. You know, it's a sickness, and we gotta. Everybody's gotta put the. Everybody's gotta be on the ground dealing with this and thinking about this and creatively working on this. We got a gun sickness in this country. And I don't know what the magic number is until we all sort of say, okay, it's time for us to do something else. It's time for us to go in another direction with this thing. It's time for us to sort of say, okay, these are the guns, these are the firearms that people have, and these are the firearms people can't have. This it's it's time for us to get to that place. Cause I don't know what the magic number is of shootings. I don't know how many more kids have to die. I don't know how many more people. I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what the tipping point is for America. I feel like we're getting close to it. You know, I tell I tell everybody I'm st I'm still a Sandy Hook. I I said because you know the minute the minute the minute those little babies were killed, and they should be going off to high school now. The minute these little kids was killed, that should have that should have made everybody go. Never again. 
We ain't do that though. We just we just allow. I tell you what I this is what I want to see. I tell you how you solve this. If everybody of good conscience in in Greek black Greek fraternities clubs, if we all took membership in the NRA, we could take over the NRA. And then we can make it do what we didn't want it to do. Now they would have to go start another thing. They being the people who allow the NRA to run rampant. But I think, you know, they, they had some financial struggles, didn't they? You know, but we have a gun sickness in this country. And we gotta, we have to own that. And we don't seem to be. And as long as we push this narrative where the government is gonna take your guns. I was like, are you kidding me? If the government really wanted to take your guns, you know how fast that could happen? <laughs> Listen, the government locked us down for three years. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you think they don't have the power to go house to house and take people's guns? You think that's how they're going to do that? You think they're going to go house to house and take people's guns? Y'all ain't watching enough TV. <laughs> you're not watching enough movies. <laughs> you're not. You're just not. <laughs> That's not how that's gonna go. <laughs> you know, you you people out there thinking, oh my God, the government is coming for my rights. Hello. Okay. All right. Y'all ain't watching enough TV. You need to get you a Netflix subscription and watch some of these shows that point out to you how it's gonna go down. But it's not gonna go down the way you think. And, you know, I, I don't know what it'll take. I don't know what it'll take for America to to write herself around this. I don't know what it'll take. I'm Honestly, I am at a loss. I, I always thought that children was held so sacred in this country. but And I don't know why I thought that mess, but maybe that's my own, you know, projecting of how I feel about children, but you know you know we say we care about kids but where's the evidence that we care about kids do you know what i mean we say we care about families but what is the evidence again remind me i'm not suggesting that we don't care i'm just saying just give me a refresher you know give me a little reminder <laughs> how we caring about kids <laughs> Uh, should I look at the schools? Okay. Should I look at reading levels? Okay. Should I look at math scores? Okay. What should I be looking at to measure how we care about kids? What is the measure how we care about kids again? What is that? I'll be back. I'll take a break. When I come back, Constant Royce, Constance Royster and uh, Frank Mitchell, we're going to talk about uh, the Constance Baker Motley exhibit at the Window and Tony Hart Museum. I like saying that. The Window and Tony Hart Museum at the Q House. I'll be back. Hi, this is Babs Rawls-Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. While COVID may not stop a baby's heart, isn't a child with a rising fever, cough, and chills enough to make your heart skip a beat? Children are 19% of reported COVID cases with higher rates in Hispanic and Black children. Vaccinated six months to five-year-olds are 80% less likely to get COVID, which means 80% healthier New Haven one-year-olds and 100% happier New Haven parents. To learn more, visit nhvvax.org. 
Oh 
staring at distant shores I've been waiting, wanting more for the whole night And it ain't right I've been saying what's on my mind Trying to explain can't be defined And for so long It's been so strong Suddenly it's clear Now that I can hear These love notes The ones that I wrote Oh, these melodies Here are some memories And these love notes I found in an old coat Mean something new All because of you Someone to lean on, can you hear me? Come near me I've been dreaming my angel will come But I never expected that you'd be the one Now I've found you I wanna stay around you Suddenly it's clear Now that I can hear That I wrote Oh, these melodies Here are some memories These love notes I found in an old coat Being something new All because of you Oh, yeah. 
Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. I'm Babs Rose Ivy. I'm delighted this morning because these are people I actually really, really like. Hey, Connie Royster. Hey, Frank Mitchell. Unmute yourselves. <laughs> oh, I can unmute you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're good. I'm you, good. I you both look amazing. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Babs. You too, Thank as you always. Morning. You guys look charming. So, all right. So tell me about this collaboration because uh, I got the flyer. I got the notices. I got the information. I didn't even realize there was a, a window on Tony Hart Museum. Uh, I, I I think I kind of vaguely knew it in the back of my mind, but I didn't really, really know. So you all have started this chapter one, telling our neighborhood stories. And you're starting with the Constance Baker Motley exhibit opening at the uh, at the Hart Museum at the Q House. So tell me about this collaboration and, and what's happening. Now, Connie, Connie Royster is Constant Baker Motley's uh niece. Right. And so, and so you stay connected and you stay keeping her story um in the forefront of our consciousness, particularly in New Haven, because she's from New Haven and she spent her youth at the at the Q House, right. what we now know as the Q House. So so tell me about this this Connie Frank collab. <laughs> um, well, shall I start, Frank? 
So, uh, Bab, so yes, uh, Judge Motley started her life here in New Haven, born and raised here, and her, her life actually would not have been Constance Baker Motley as we know her, but for the Q House. So there is this amazing circle that we're doing this exhibit at the Q House. And this exhibit really started uh, and this collaboration started with the talk I gave uh, to the Yale African-American affinity group. I don't even remember how many years ago, maybe three. I think it was just as the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And that led to this exhibit at the Yale Law School. Um, and when we did that, that was last year, last spring. I went to that, yes. Yes, right. And, and there was an open uh, forum at that time in the spring when just before it closed. At that time, uh, we got together and said, this needs to have some kind of life of its own to tell her story of the first African-American federal judge who came from New Haven has much more to her life than just that, um, including her, her extraordinary career as a uh, civil rights attorney for the Legal Defense Fund and many other things. How do we tell that story and use that as a kickoff to tell the story other families' stories in the Dixwell neighborhood and greater New Haven and beyond. And the Community Foundation, um, specifically the Vineyard Project and the, um, what's it called, Frank? The, uh, the Fund for New Haven Black Futures, I believe. Yeah, the F Black Futures Fund um, picked up on that and agreed to do, do funding for what we now have. Frank and Frank, they hired Frank, the brilliant Frank Mitchell, to curate uh, and make this happen. And um, Frank has been uh, almost semi-resident <laughs> at my house, <laughs> um, putting this exhibit together. And I've I've just I've known Frank forever, but I've just loved working on this project with him to tell the story, the first yeah. chapter. Yeah. Frank, so, so why did you say yes? Like, what was it about this, Frank, that attracted you? Because, I mean, I, I know of your work. I know how amazing you are. And you could do all kinds of things. Why did you say yes to this? Uh, it's a great story. Constance Baker Molly is inimitable and so tightly linked to New Haven and to Connecticut. And plenty, it's sort of like the Amistad story. Plenty of people know the story, but more should. And so we're constantly in the process of reminding people and finding ways to connect who she was and all she did in her many facets to life in New Haven and in Connecticut, uh, which is you know what she did when she was alive. It was also a great opportunity to, to keep reminding people about the many Dixwell stories, the many New Haven stories that we haven't documented yet and prompting people to think about what do they have in their attics and garages and in their closets and in their hat boxes, Babs Rawls, that should be out so people can hear these stories and know who lives here, who lives here, get a sense of what life was like in the 70s and 80s and 60s and 50s. Those are periods we haven't documented well. 
we've got you know good documentation for the early 20th century but you know we don't have as great material for the times we actually all lived in and so what we hope will happen because of this project is that more people will start thinking about what do they have in their house that they've held on to from their parents and grandparents that could help us to tell more of the stories of that part of the city, this part of the city. Um, Connie's family has been amazing because her mother kept a lot of stuff. Um, and because there have been bakers and roisters and motleys living in and around New Haven, it was possible to hold on to these incredible bits and pieces of history so that somebody could have them and Connie's lucky enough to have them and, and thank God she's willing to share some of that with us. There are things that she's got in this family collection that don't exist in other places, other archives around the city of New Haven. So flyers from the 30s and 40s to promote grocery stores and dances and parties and community events that link New Haven to Waterbury and Bridgeport and Hartford and sort of this documents sort of the connections between Black communities as they grew and emerged here in mid-20th century Connecticut as folks are coming in and adding to the folks who are here and building these networks. And those things, you know, they were printed on paper, which will fall apart after 30 years. And so it's just lucky that some of this stuff exists in Connie's archive. So we actually have the tangible evidence of people growing in these communities at that time. And, you know, we've got the oral history about it, but to actually see it in person is really, really incredible because it's not at the public library or at the Institute library, maybe at the state library in some old box, but these kinds of things are really precious and it's amazing to have them. So, and other people probably have things like that in their basements and they just need to go down there and start looking. So that was a really important reason to take this project on. And I think because it's Constance Baker Motley, it, it, it's a big enough name that it gets our attention, but everybody has things like this and everybody could be contributing to telling this story in New Haven and how black residents who had been here for generations and newer black residents helped to shape and change that part of the city and the city generally. And, and we need to document those stories and keep telling those stories, particularly now as places are saying, you can't tell these stories anymore. These things didn't happen. So having the exhibitions, having people talk about them in public, having them in documentaries and in these public places, you know, refutes the idea that you know, people just showed up or these things didn't happen, yeah, because they did. So Connie, this is very personal. How do you feel about airing very personal objects and artifacts and letters and things and whatever have you? I mean, it's very personal. How do you how do you how do you feel about that? How does the family feel about this? Well, I think that my mother um, and also my aunt Edna Carnegie was also a saver, um, and she actually, when she died, I gave. Um, her archive to the um, African-American Cultural Center. Um, so there, there's still pieces of that um, there. Uh, I don't think they would have saved this stuff um, if they didn't mean it to have relevance, um, both to the family and to history. 
you you can see that um, the documentation about my aunt um, is extraordinary. I mean, clippings and um, pictures and photographs, um, you know, they knew how significant her life was. And it, it's, it is documented. There is a true narrative uh, going on. And I actually think that, you know, in another life, uh, my mother particularly might well have been, who knows, an historian, an archivist. Um, you know, there's there's a kind of sense of calling when I look at some of these things that, you know, photographs were not just thrown in a box. They were in an album and names are, people are identified, um, which is one of the, the, you know, the banes of existence for archivists. You know, who are all these people? Right. You give us a whole lot of photographs, but we don't know who anybody is. They are so clearly identified. And um, that's that's really important. And it's important to me, you know, as I um, look at these things, I can do a tracing myself. Oh, that's on, you know, on Emily or that's on Sarah or, you know, you know, Aunt Marion. I can see these things. So, uh, yes, it's personal, but the stories. Um, are not just mine. They're stories of, of you know, of my family um, and my community uh, and the place that I grew up. And while I, um, part of why I can't get to finish, and I don't know when I ever will, like decluttering, you know, as they say, is because <laughs> I, I, I open, you know, an album or I find a piece of paper and I am there for a while reading. And um, if I knew something about it, even reminiscing, it's um, it is deeply emotional, but it's emotional in a very um, uh, uh, I hate to say I don't mean public, but in a sharing way. It's meant to be shared. I love it. All right, so so this kicks off Saturday from one to four. And will there be some programming? And how long is the exhibit going to be up? And 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 how how can the community access it? And how long? And for how long? And questions. Uh, yep, Saturday is the public opening, and it really it's an opening reception. There will be programming, not on Saturday, but we want to keep drawing people in and giving them reason to show up, so we can keep asking them to think about telling their own stories and giving them some of the tools to begin doing that research if they haven't done that before. So there will be programming throughout the run of the exhibition uh, and we're gonna finalize that. So definitely stay tuned. And this is the first big installation in the space that's gonna be able to use the space fully. Uh, we had a, a welcome exhibition up when the building opened but because of COVID and massing restrictions and all the complications and sort of the, the needs of the communities that are the heaviest users, it wasn't as easy to get into the building. So we'll be figuring out what the, the right patterns are for visitor usage. Uh, so it may be Thursday nights and some other days during the week and then on the weekends, uh, but we'll definitely be tweeting that out and posting it uh, on the Q House website and on social media so people have a sense of when when else they can come in and we'll definitely be up for tours but we'll be doing some programming 
because we really want people to come in, be inspired, and start looking around. And, and I'm looking at you, Beth Rosalie. I know you got stuff in your in your closet that you could tell a big story with. What? <laughs> and you got those hats in there to start with. <laughs> Oh, that sounds like a that sounds like an exhibit, right? right. It reminds us of the one of the photographs in the exhibit, Frank, of um, the ladies at the at the luncheon, and yeah. right, the hats. Oh my God! Right. So, Connie, um, you talked about you talked about when you'd come across something and you mm -hmm. you spend some time pouring over it. What? Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about what that experience is like, because it's one mm -hmm. thing. And I, we all do this. We go yeah. looking for something. You stumble across an, an, a photograph or something. Something's written on the back, or or you come across somebody's obituary. Or you come across somebody's something or other award or whatever, and it just takes you back to that moment. And you're like, "Oh my God, I had completely forgotten about that particular time." Talk to me about what this experience was like to go mm -hmm. through these things that you probably haven't touched in a in a good while or ever. Right or, or, or ever, wow. ever. I was looking. I uh, was. I opened a, a book. Um, Frank hasn't even seen this. I opened a book just the other day, and in it was a photograph of this group of black waiters. Waiters, right? Um, and um, and at least three of them were identified. Uh, and the tall guy in the black was my uncle Moxie, right? Maxwell Baker and George Cunningham, a cousin, and um, uh, and another cousin, I uh, forget which of the Huggins, another Huggins. And they were dressed in their waiting, waiters uniforms, um, starch white tops, bow ties, cummerbunds, and black pants. There had to have been, I think there were like, you know, maybe six or eight of them standing erect. This is a, um, and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, first of all, I couldn't tell where it was, but it looked like it was in the South. Um, and I know that these, these, these men, my cousins, um, traveled the circuit. They weren't just up here in Connecticut, which they were, because they worked uh, at the country clubs uh, in, you know, in Orange and Woodbridge, uh, et cetera, in the, on the circuit. Um, but they also did Florida in the winter and they did the West Coast and, um, and they were looking so proud. And I thought, um, you know, that's a story. It's an amazing story and how much I loved my uncle Moxie and um, how when I had to just sit there and, and um, when I was in junior high school in New Haven and I was going to, you know, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and he was a waiter at these clubs, he would bring out his buddies and point and say, that's my niece, that's my niece. And so proud, you know, that, it, the, you know, he was always very proud of me, but 
the stories just keep coming back of, you know, love and family and what it was must have been like to be a, a black waiter on the circuit of, um, you know, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Um, so yeah, it makes you stop and think. It makes you take in the history and how the history is also personal. Mm. That's just one example. I love it. So, so Frank, uh, you know, I was at um, uh, Dr. Jonathan Berryman's talk at the New Haven Museum the other night about the 60 degrees of separation of music in New Haven. And so, and it got me, it's, uh, as I'm talking to y'all, I'm thinking about that. Does it, does, when you curate uh, an art, an exhibition, um, and you know the people so personally, like you know Connie, right? Like you know her, um, you live in the same town as her. Does uh, this, does this become more special? Is there a greater weight of responsibility to like get this right? Like what, what is it like to know the person whose family you are curating their effects of? Uh, it it feels the same. It it because you're always working on a good project. You're always working with an artist or somebody who you trust and believe in and want to do the best work with. So in this case, it's that same sort of relationship. It's someone that you know and trust and want to do the best work with. And what's great about these kind of projects is that you really can. It's a relationship and a conversation and it's evolving and it can continue. I think that's sort of a nice thing. And and this space and the way the space is constructed and the, the ideas behind this project mean that, you know, we can shift, we can change, people should stay tuned because we'll be we'll be able to adjust and adapt and see how visitors respond to things and then you know update or correct or add more depending what people need and I think that's a great way of being able to work and it's the kind of work you can do with a with someone who you have a connection to uh if if it's a more formal creative relationship with an artist that you don't connect with particularly regularly it's harder to do that but since we have a another kind of connection we can keep iterating this project and keep adapting it for the audiences and find ways to work with school groups or work with churches or work with libraries and anybody else who shows up and wants us to do something and because we have we have another connection we can make that happen and i think that that's what makes project projects like this so exciting because it's this chance to do something that feels kind of separate from what you do in a more formal space and with more formal contacts where the end product is an exhibition and it's in this big fancy gallery and then it's done. Whereas this is something we want to bring to New Haven and we'll continue to keep finding ways to share it and we'll keep adjusting what we can do so it's in the right place before the right people and we're having the right conversation using these objects to do that work. And that's that's kind of a rare opportunity. So it, it's it's nice that we have it. I love it. So, so can I talk to I want to add one thing, Babs. Babs, can I just add one thing? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I have found the um, working with Frank a singular opportunity. Um, first of all, he's brilliant. Well, he um, is. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't shake your head. He's brilliant. And it has been um, a wonderful collaboration. You know, I mean, obviously he's the artist and the, you know, the, 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 the creative brain and power behind this. But I also think um, that uh, I have deep respect for him and I think he respects me and I think, you know, the stuff is mine. So, you know, <laughs> um, but we were able to say back and forth, what about this? Does this serve our goal? Or what about this letter or this object? And it was a great back and forth that um, I think has made this project so meaningful to me. Uh, so I really thank Frank for everything he's done. Mm. Yeah, well. It is a collaboration. I think if people are concerned that things get to be too intimate, they never do because we decide this is the part of the story that you want to tell. This is the part of the story that you want to hold back on. It should be personal because history begins. It is personal. And how we were able to tell these bigger aggregate stories is because people are willing to share. This happened to my grandfather. This happened to my grandmother. And so, you know, 15 people in this neighborhood have the same experience. Then it becomes history. It's not just one person's idiosyncratic moment. It's a bunch of folks had that experience. That's history. How do we make sense of it? So it needs to be personal. But it doesn't need to be too personal or too intimate. And you can find a way to reserve some things like people do all the time and share out what you want to share and negotiate those boundaries. And I think we've done that well. And this project will only work if we're able to do it with people. So, so it says chapter one. Are, are you all a part of a many more chapters or like what 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 does that mean? And And, and what do we get to look forward to? Yep, we're actively looking for chapter two right now. I know you got those hats in there. You got a big story. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be following up. So you should just either think about your excuses why you can't do it or decide how you want to how you want to have your story told in the space. Because I, I, I feel like I'm being directed two. here, Connie. I think I'm being, this is not an ask, it's a directive. <laughs> there are many stories to be told. I, you know, and I think, um, that Frank's right. I mean, this is this is the big, you know, the beginning. It really is chapter one, and the whole point was, uh, I think, initially, uh, the thought was, oh, this is going to be all about Judge Motley, and you know, the thing is, no, it's not all about Judge Motley. It's about the the many many stories that have that have to be told. This is a kickoff, you know, an inspiration um, to that everybody has a story it, it you know it's not just famous people um she has you know she had uh you know eight other is that right eight other brothers and sisters and you know and they each had a story right and some of them are in this this exhibit you know and some of them aren't um and it really was an encouragement to every other everybody else in the community uh, as Frank said, you know, to go in the attic and to go in the, uh, you know, in the garage. But also for right now, as you're cleaning up or, you know, moving and downsizing, don't throw stuff out and save what you have right now. Think about, think about the present for your grand and, you know, the people to follow. 
Mm. So was there anything uniquely surprising that either one of you found out about doing this, pulling together, curating this exhibit that you didn't know before? Actually, she's pretty well documented. And another, there's a recent biography in the past six months, maybe? Yeah, yeah one months. year ago, exactly. Year. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of that has been covered. One of the things that I really liked about looking at the material that Connie has is it really is much more family material. So her, there's a Bible, an embossed Bible to her. There's a, an amazing... Uh, early edition of the um, Ebony Date with a Dish cookbook. Uh, so all these things that feel like they were part of her her daily life that didn't show up as much in the press, although she really was well covered in the press. Ebony Magazine loved her. Jet Magazine loved her. I mean, she she was pretty unique. There wasn't anybody else like her. She was sweet generous in that regard. So she got good, good coverage and people found a way to kind of put her into a bunch of different categories, pop cultural categories. So following her New York career when she's uh, a borough president and going to lots of big glamorous events at New York hotels and sort of being photographed and showing up in Jerry Major society, uh, but also uh, filing legal briefs and uh, judicial articles. So living in those worlds that would make her kind of a rock star for uh, a national Black public, but also taking seriously her responsibility to be a judge and to be seen as credible amongst her peers and sort of how she negotiated that. And it, you sort of know that, but it's nice to see evidence of it uh, in her daily life and her artifacts. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, um, one of the other things Frank's, Frank's mentioning is that um, all those, all those magazines, all those jets, all those ebonies, um, they've all been saved. I mean, I, the, I have them, I mean, you know, and, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's, and flipping through those and, you know, my, you know, my mother would put a little something to mark the spot and, um, you know, you know, that's pretty incredible that there's like an archive of jets and ebonies of, um, you know, wh when you see those, I mean, people do still, some people do still have them, but mostly they don't exist anymore. The real deal, the real thing. I threw mine away. I hate it, but I see, do. see, and oh, I, yeah. I, I've thrown some away. I, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, it's, it's really, um, historic to be able to feel and touch uh, the original documents um, and to see articles and not just on her. I mean, they are themselves um, a history of, you know, our people. Mm. And, um, you know, she might not have been on the cover, but somebody important was on the cover or somebody culturally significant was on the cover and she was inside. So it's it was really interesting just to even go go through those yeah. mm. incredibly poignant because those things don't exist in print anymore so there's no more jet you know, black enterprise doesn't exist as a something you can hold in your hand ebony doesn't either and so which was unimaginable even and, and you know i did some work with 
Mrs. Carnegie and Mr. Saunders and those folks rooting around in the collections of the of Cass. And I was always thinking, why are they keeping this stuff? Who needs all this? It's online, you know, it's it, it's microfilm. There's always going to be more. But in fact, there was not always going to be more. So right. Wow. That's pretty uh that's that's pretty profound. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. It's true. I mean, they are online. I will say Ebony does kick up dust, you know, on Instagram. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, I see it online and I and I like it online, but but there is something quite fabulous about having it in your hand. You yeah. know, I mean, and and for me, um, holding an ebony and jet, I, I could tell you, I, I, you know, we had them on our coffee tables at my of house course. when I was growing up, but they were at the salons. Yes. Right. So sometimes churches would have them in the hallway in the in yes. the on the foyer thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, so it was a part of I mean, everywhere we went. It was that black excellence, black glamour was, right. was so much a part well, of it. daily life. They they photographed everyday life. And so there was that record of people you know, jump in double dutch in their neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> just bad stuff. It was everyday people. This random person who sells a farmer in eastern right. Ohio that they would get a story and sort of the effort to sell subscriptions through churches. So building the community, building the network of folks so that you are, you're reinforcing that sense of this is who we are. And we want you to know this in our churches and in our legal offices and in the doctor's office and, and right. going into those spaces and seeing this affirmation of, okay, yeah, we're part of that as opposed to, I don't know what you see now when you go to the doctor's office, but yeah, it's, it's not that thing for sure. And the ancillary stuff that they did, the fashion stuff, the fashion the stuff all the things where people showed up together to celebrate who they were and sort yes. of, which, you know, it's like sometimes there's concerts, but you don't have that, the same prompt doesn't exist in the same way anymore. And that's. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the exhibit. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I'm good. The exhibit is, uh, Telling our telling our neighborhood stories, chapter one, Constance Baker Motley exhibit, and it is opening Saturday, March fourth, uh, from one to four. You can go and see all these things, and I take it you two will be on hand uh, to greet people and to talk Definitely. a little bit about what we're looking at and what we're seeing. Definitely, yep. yes, definitely, I'll be there. Okay, um, and I, I look forward to seeing many folks. Um, relatives, friends, new friends, making new friends and encouraging people to, you know, do what we just did, Frank and I. Okay. Well, thank you all for being with me this morning. I enjoyed this. I'm glad I had opportunity to talk to you all about this before the exhibit, before I, before I step in to see the exhibit on Saturday afternoon. So I Always appreciate y'all. Always it's always a pleasure. a pleasure to see you, Connie. Yes, tabs. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to Thank see you, me. Frank Mitchell. I'll see y'all soon. Thank, Thank you, you so much for this Thank opportunity you. to talk with y'all about this wonderful exhibit. Thank you. I'll see y'all. Have a good weekend. You too. <laughs> we'll be busy, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Harry, it's our weekend. We are on our way out. Y'all be safe out there. The weather is going to be challenging tonight and tomorrow. So y'all be safe. And uh, I will talk to y'all on Monday. And I'll catch y'all at the Q House on Saturday. Hi, this is Babs Rawls Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM.
streaming live at no. 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 no.